Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Again, that's page 939 if you have one of the black hardcover Bibles. And as we read here, remember, we're reading God's word. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. You may be seated. Well, when Luke asked me uh, some months ago to teach, I said, the only thing that you have to guarantee is give me an encouraging message that's going to allow me to look good when I leave. And he said, okay, I'll give you one on the wrath of God. So thanks for that, Luke. Uh, I'm pretty certain he did that intentionally so he could get away from it. The wrath of God is, is is not an easy message to preach for multiple reasons. One being that people don't naturally respond to it. They're not naturally warm in wanting to hear about the wrath of God. And the other side is many people just can't believe it. It seems unbelievable. So today we're going to do our best uh, to go after those two things and to really understand what it is that the Apostle Paul is trying to say. We're in uh, the third week, I believe, um, fourth something, of the book of Romans. This is going to be the longest series that Redemption Church has ever done, um, over 70 weeks looking at this book. And that is very intentional um, in, in by design for Redemption Church because we believe that the message of this book is very pertinent, um, very needed at this time, and as well to very much declare that we are a church that just wants to present and preach the scriptures. Martin Luther says that Christ comes to us clothed in the robes of the scriptures, and we want Jesus We want to know him, we want to experience him, and we want to lay him out in the scriptures. The book of Romans um, says a lot, but you will understand the purpose of the book of Romans if you understand the purpose of the author, the Apostle Paul. And he tells us very directly in chapter 1, verse 5, he's speaking about the lordship of Jesus Christ. He says, through the lordship of Christ, we have received grace and apostleship. And now he tells you, For what? To bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. So he says this, the goal of Paul's ministry, of which these letters were a part of his ministry, by his design to form the church in Rome, by the Holy Spirit's design to form Redemption Gateway, and all those who come under the authority of the scriptures. He says the purpose of that ministry was to bring about the obedience of faith 
among all the nations. What is that saying? He's saying this world belongs to God and all the peoples of it. They have been lost and gone astray, and yet God is calling them back. Through his powerful gospel, he's calling them back, and we are calling them to again walk in the ways of Christ, walk under his lordship. So therefore, the church, the people of God, are those who live all of their lives. Now hear me when I say this. All of their lives under the lordship of Christ, declaring to the world this is what life looks like under the lordship of Jesus. This is what recreation looks like when Jesus is king. This is what business practices look like when Jesus is king. This is what marriage dynamics look like and family dynamics look like. This is what children look like when they're living under the authority of their parents because they're under the authority of the Lord Christ. This is what life looks like under a king who is love who exemplifies love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I've always found the Lion King quite helpful in painting this picture because the Lion King paints a very visual picture. How many have seen the Lion King? Okay, this is a good illustration then. Um, A very visual picture that when there is a good king on the throne, things are bright and harmonious. And when there's a bad king on the throne, Things are dark and deadly and broken. That's exactly the biblical story. And Paul is calling the world to say, live under the good king. And you have a fundamental problem that you can't fix, but he came to fix it. And that's what he spoke about last week that Sean preached to you is this gospel that's the power of God unto salvation. In coming out of a week like we've just come out of, deep inside, I would argue, almost every human heart is a cry for salvation. There was a cry for salvation when the bombs exploded in Boston. Save me now in this circumstance. There was cries of salvation in West Texas when a fertilizer plant blows up. Save me now. And there are cries of people right now as they begin to ask these crazy questions of why is the world the way it is, and they're pleading for salvation. Now, where those prayers are directed are varied, but there are pleas and cries for salvation. So on that note, I want to pray for those people um, right now, and then we'll get in um, to our text for this morning. God, we pray uh, right now for the victims and the victims' families in West Texas and in Boston. We ask that you would bring healing to their bodies. We pray that you would bring healing to the souls and the hearts of those who have lost people. God, we pray um, right now for this last um, suspect in these bombings in Boston. God, we ask that you would reach down and that you would save in every form and in every fashion. God, save us from sin and hatred, from injustice in our own hearts, God, we thank you that you are the Savior of the world. God, we want to see you this morning. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'll tell you, preparing a message on the wrath of God in the midst of a wrathful week is not that easy. And there's a lot of things that begin to go through your head. And one of them, to me, was this question this week of, I wonder what people who don't believe do with evil. Like, how do they answer that question of why stuff like this happens? Now, oftentimes, 
uh, unbelieving people will push upon Christians that this is one of the greatest problems with Christianity, is if you have a good, all-powerful God, how can he allow senseless evil like this to happen? Now, I'm not right now going to answer that question in its entirety, but I want to pose the question back upon those people. What do they do with it? Because clearly they don't like it. Clearly it seems what happened in Boston was not just, was not right, was not just internally the way most of us think things should be, including the bombers. That's why they would bomb and try to make a statement is that things aren't um, the way they're ultimately supposed to be. So as I asked that question, I had a friend of mine send me this post that went viral this week. That means going viral on social media. Many people read it. It was by a comedian named Patton Oswalt. And he said this, if his first lines were Boston horrible. He says, I remember when 9-11 went down, my reaction was, well, that's it. I've had it with humanity. He says, but I was wrong. I don't know what's going to be revealed to be behind all of this mayhem that was before uh, the two young men were found. He says, I don't know what's going to be revealed behind all this mayhem. One human insect or a poisonous mass of broken sociopaths. But here's what I do know. If it's one person or a hundred people, that number is not even a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of a percent of the population on this planet. You watch the videos of the carnage, and there are people running towards it, running towards the destruction to help out. This is a giant planet, and right now he's about to get at how he's making sense of this. He says, we live on a giant planet, and we're lucky to live on it, but there are prices And there are penalties incurred for the daily miracle of existence. One of them is this. Every once in a while, the wiring of a tiny sliver of the species gets snarled, and they're pointed towards darkness. He then goes on and says, but the vast majority stand against that darkness. So when you spot violence or bigotry or intolerance or fear or just garden variety misogyny, hatred, or ignorance, just look it in the eye and think the good outnumber you, and we always will. Now, here's what I love about being a Christian and submitting ourselves to the scriptures, is the Bible enables you to read a post like that and not say it's all ridiculous or not fully embrace it. The biblical truth allows you to look at something like that and go, there are things in that I can affirm, and there are things that have to be critiqued that are not true. The affirmation is that humanity is not as bad as it possibly could be. That's true. God did create us in his image. And we do have instincts for rescue and instincts for the good of others. Instincts of self-sacrifice, which are reflective of the image of God that we were created in. And so people do go into that, and we should cheer that, and we should champion that. That is true. He's also right in that we live in this miraculous world that is true and should be affirmed but it also should be critiqued in this that there are prices and penalties incurred for the miracle of existence i don't know if it's just because of the miracle of existence that penalties and prices are paid the bible would in fact say that the creation has gone astray and he says one of these prices is that every once in a while the wiring of a tiny sliver of the species get snarled and they're pointed toward darkness. That is not what the Bible says. The Bible says that sin entered the world and all of the earth got twisted and distorted and 
because of human disobedience to God, our hearts got twisted and we are turned inward. And the inward inclination is an inclination towards darkness, that we began to buy into lies rather than truths, and that is why we are where we are. The title of today's message is The Evil Exchange. I want to communicate it through this lens. The world is the way it is because the wrath of God is being revealed upon it. The wrath of God is being revealed upon us because of our suppression because of our thanklessness, and because of an evil exchange that we've made. That's what we're going to look at. The wrath of God is being revealed against ungodliness and unrighteousness of men because of their suppression, because of their thanklessness, and because of an evil exchange that they have made. So let's get into this. Romans chapter 1 Starting in verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The wrath of God is presently being revealed because of suppression. The world is the way it is because we are pushing down self-evident, obvious truth. That's what the word suppression means. The wrath of God is being revealed because we're taking that which is obvious and we're pressing it down and ignoring it. Paul will lay out that there is a burden to knowledge. And what's known about God, Paul says in this section, is plain to us. And there is a burden to that knowledge. This week revealed to me the burden of knowledge. As my Twitter feed kept feeding new information and new information and you're getting this news at a rapid pace, there's weight to that. As you're watching whatever news station it was that you're watching, more bad news comes in and more bad news comes in and you can just feel the weight of that. There's a burden. One side of a burden is the weight of it. That's why there was a comic this week that was written that said the best way to get rid or get out of a fear of terrorism and it showed a guy clicking off his television set. It's the best way to get rid of fear because the weight, the burden of all of this reality just builds up and builds up and builds up. But there's another kind of burden as well and it's the burden of responsibility. Right? There's responsibility that comes with knowledge. I'm the father, I told you, of four children and I have to remind myself oftentimes as a dad that kids will be Kids, right? Like when they make those ridiculous, annoying noises. There's moments that you just want to go, whack, right? Like, close your mouth. But I have to remind myself, hey, they're kids. Or when they spill their milk. Or when you say, hey, I'm going to give you this red Gatorade, don't go on the carpet, and they go on the carpet and spill it, right? Those are things that you just got to remind yourself, kids will be kids, but if you're going to be a good parent, you need to give them information. You need to actually parent them. And when you give them the knowledge, they then are responsible. They have the burden to do what you said. We're in a restaurant. Stop making that horrific noise. There's other people here, right? The fact that they made the initial noise, kids will be kids. But if they now have the knowledge that that is a horrific noise and it's bothering everybody and they continue to do it, that's then in parenting what they call disobedience, right? And you have to deal with that. If you don't want your child to be a mass murderer or 
You actually want to be sane. You have to deal with that, right? There's a burden that comes with knowledge. This is exactly what Paul's going to say. There is a knowledge that is self-evident to humanity that they have a burden to live up to. And this is why the wrath of God is being presently revealed because we're actually taking that knowledge and suppressing it. Living as though it actually isn't there. The wrath of God says is revealed. That means it's presently being revealed. That God didn't just create a world where there were consequences. That's true. What a man reaps, this he will also sow. But know this, if you believe the Bible, God is involved in that. We aren't deists. Deists believe God just created the world, he set it up a certain way, and then his hands are off. No, biblical Christianity and what the Bible presents to us of the truth about God is that he is actively involved in everything. And that this God is actively involved right now in pouring out his wrath, which we'll see in a bit, by restraining what we really want, letting humanity go in that direction. He's active in that, allowing that to happen And it's happening because of the suppression of truth. The wrath of God is actively being revealed right now in the present against the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Now, if you are real, and I would argue even if you have a good heart, hearing wrath and the anger of God is going to make you, your skin crawl a little bit. I have a quote here uh, by Rebecca Pippert. Becky Pippert, that's going to come up and deal with this idea. She says this in a book, Hope Has Its Reasons. She says, we tend to be taken aback by the thought that God could be angry. How can a deity who is perfect and loving ever be angry? She says, we actually take pride in our tolerance of the excesses of others. So what is God's problem? But love detests What destroys the beloved? Real love stands against the deception. It stands against the lie. It stands against the sin that destroys. Hear that. Love stands against that. Nearly a century ago, the theologian E.H. Glifford wrote, Human love here offers a true analogy. This is a great picture. The more a father loves his son, the more he hates in him the drunkard, the liar, the traitor. Anger isn't the opposite of love. Hate is. And the final form of hate is indifference. How can a good God forgive bad people without compromising himself? Does he just play fast and loose with the facts? Oh, never mind. Boys will be boys. Trying to tell that to a survivor, try telling that to a survivor of the Cambodian killing fields or to somebody who lost an entire family in the Holocaust. No, to be truly good, one has to be outraged by evil and implacably, somebody say that for me, (laughs) implacably hostile to injustice. Now, here's what she's saying. If this God truly is loving, he's not a capricious God that's just looking to whack people. He's going, this is horrible. This is not the way to life. This is the way to death. That is not the truth. Those are lies. That is not the way. That's the absolute wrong direction, and he stands in. So the wrath of God is being revealed against the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men because of his love. 
It is a result of the righteousness of God that was being revealed in verse 17. Now, when we look back and go, why is the world the way it is? Sin entered the world, and four alienations came about. We were alienated from God. We were alienated from ourselves. We were alienated from each other and from creation. But the reality of all of those ripple effects, if sin came into the world like a rock goes down into a river and has multiple ripples, those ripples were being alienated from creation being alienated from each other, being alienated from ourselves, and all of that stems from being alienated from God. Humanity's alienation from the one who they were made for, that's what Colossians says, for by Christ, through Christ, all things were made. Things in heaven and things on earth, things that we can see and things that we can't see. All things were created through him and for him. The very identity of humanity is built up in God. Therefore, when we move away from God and when we suppress the obvious truth about God, chaos ensues. Mayhem ensues. And this is the problem with the suppression of that truth. The opposite of love is not anger or hatred. It's indifference. And we become indifferent as we suppress the truth. As we push it farther down. And what's amazing about suppression is I wonder how many times it's active in the sense that we understand that we're doing it versus how much it just is happening. We need to be aware of God's creation, what's plain about him, the beauty of him, the order of his creation, the fact that he is speaking to us everywhere. It's what that famous hymn, if you've been around the church at all, the hymn that this is my father's world. He shines in all that's fair. In the rustling grass, I hear him pass. He speaks to me everywhere. The greatest antidote to the suppression of God's created order and the fact that he is everywhere is to earthen ourselves. Hear me when I say that. Earthen yourselves. Become fully present. For a moment, turn off your cell phone and look at your family. Turn off the radio, roll down your windows, and feel the breeze. Make sure it's now and not in two months from now because I don't feel like a hair dryer blowing in your face. But roll down the windows, feel the air. As you drive by, look at the Desert Museum Palo Verdes and go, this is unbelievable. And realize that God is not the tree, but he's the creator of the tree, and that tree speaks to you. As you sit in your job and you watch people function and there's an amazing moment where your team works together, acknowledge the fact that is the created design of God as people talk to each other and words give life to one another. Worship God. Acknowledge it. Just acknowledge that's amazing. Start there. Acknowledge it. As you sit with your children, smell the smells of them. Smell their hair when it's dirty and when it's clean. Touch their skin. Right? When you're tasting good food, acknowledge that tastes amazing. God made food to taste amazing. When you touch something, the satin on sheets or the kiss of your spouse or whatever it might be, recognize God did that. He is speaking to us everywhere. Sin will suppress that. Sin will push it so down that you are not awed by anything. And that leads us to a 
horrific place of thanklessness. The wrath of God is being presently revealed because of thanklessness. Look at verse 20. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they, we, are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. The wrath of God is being presently revealed because of thanklessness. We are without excuse because of our ingratitude, because of our thanklessness. You know, when you have something, you get things, and you realize there's a lot of it around, right? Like when we bought our minivan, our blue Toyota Sienna, I all of a sudden went, everybody drives a blue Toyota Sienna. They're everywhere. They're all over the place. When you have children, this is true as well, you, you go to restaurants and you begin to see how kids act, right? Let me just say this too, by the way. For those of you who don't have kids, you're always an expert parent when you don't have children. My wife says this all the time. I was the best parent when I didn't have kids. I was like amazing. But you watch kids and what's astounding to me is how all of these kids are adamant about things like, mine, give me that. It's mine, and I want it now. And I have these moments where I'm, I'm a little befuddled, like, it's yours? You're five. Like, nothing could possibly be yours. <laughs> You're five. There's a guy I know um, who's pretty wealthy, and he has this story where he was driving, like, his 12 or 13-year-old kid around, and the kid in the backseat all of a sudden said, Dad, are we rich? And the dad said, this is an interesting opportunity, and so he pulled the car over. He said, what, what did you say? He said, Dad, are we rich? He said, I am, you're not. <laughs> like, my kids will say that to me. The other day, we're driving to a baseball game yesterday, and we're gonna get sunflower seeds. Baseball players love sunflower seeds in their mouth, so I can't even be on a six and seven-year-old baseball field without wanting sunflower seeds. So I get these sunflower seeds, I get in my car, I open them up, and I put some in my mouth, right? I have a cup there that I'm gonna spit the seeds in, and my son goes, don't eat my sunflower seeds. And I'm befuddled, thinking, okay, did you take your red debit card out and pay for those seeds? Like, at what point did those become your seeds? I'm, I'm curious about that, because that shirt on you, you would not have if it wasn't for me. Those pants, you would not have. Your hair would be long because it wouldn't be cut because I have not cut that. You know what? I feel at times like that with whether they're my children or other people's children, like when God in Isaiah 40 says, do you not know? Have you not heard? And we laugh at kids about that, but God's saying, that's what we're like. Don't you know? Have you not heard? The Lord's the everlasting God. You're not everlasting. Do you not know, have you not heard, that he's the creator of the ends of the earth? That he's the one who won't grow tired or weary. Remember, you're the one that sleeps. That he's the one whose understanding no one can fathom. His invisible attributes and his divine power are so clearly perceived, and yet we stand back, suppress them, and don't honor him as God or give thanks to him. It's been said that the heart of Paul's teaching in the New Testament is thanksgiving, which seems like it would then mean that maybe as you enter into the heart of sin, 
one of the places you come before you hit the center is ingratitude, thanklessness. How can you honor a God that you don't acknowledge and you don't give thanks to? And because you don't, verse 21 is very clear that though you know God, you have this knowledge, we have this knowledge, we don't honor him as God or give thanks, therefore we are without excuse. We are without excuse. You think you've done something you have played no part in. You think you are the one who pulled yourself up by the bootstraps. I earned what I earned and I did it on my own and God goes, really, who gave you those eyes that you could see with or those hands that you work with? Or who is it that taught you that work ethic? Who was it that put you with that mentor or in that family? Who gave you the brains to figure out that problem? Who gave you the strength to move those tires? Was it you, really? Were you the one that pulled out that red debit card and bought those sunflower seeds? And yet you're thankless. And you don't honor the one who has given it to you. There's a consistent uh, view, a three-part worldview, if you will, of God's people in the scripture. And it's that God's people understand this. Everything we have, we've received. They understand the gift. It's all a gift. The beauty of the created world, that which I have, is all a gift of God. The reality of salvation is a gift of God. Gift. The second part is thanksgiving. The natural response when you recognize that, when you don't suppress it but you recognize it, is that you give thanks. And then the response to thanksgiving is generosity. It's inclusion. It's justice. It's righteousness. So ungodliness and unrighteousness of men that's being poured out by God is a sense of you aren't honoring God and you aren't living rightly before people. It's vertical and it's horizontal. That's always true in the scriptures. You never have just vertical moments. They're always vertical and horizontal at the same time. Ungodliness and unrighteousness, not living the right way before people because we aren't living this worldview, which is the positive side of gift, thanksgiving, and generosity. Alexander Schmemann says, I think that God will forgive everything except lack of joy when we forget that God created the world and that he's the one who saves it. Hear that. I think God will forgive everything except lack of joy, lack of thankfulness when we forget that God created the world and he's saving it. He saved it. Here's the result of that, of suppression and not being thankful. The result of it, God says right here, is that we become futile in our thinking and our hearts become dark. You want to know what basically that means? We become stupid, foolish, hearts dark. Now that's different than the blog post we read where only once in a while a little tiny fraction turn inward and get dark. No, no, no. When we go our own way, God gives us up to our desires. We become stupid fools. And what's really stupid and foolish about it that Paul says, and in the midst of it, we claim to be wise. And in claiming to be wise, I'm the one who did it. I know. I get it. In claiming to be wise, he says they became fools. So what does that mean for us? Honor God. 
Like, as you have those moments where you stop and just try to apprehend and take in the realities of God's amazing creation, and you realize God did this, then give thanks for it. Don't just stop in acknowledging it. Say, thank you, God. Get creative with your thanksgiving, because in your thanksgiving, that's how you're honoring God. You begin to thank him. God, thank you for my children. Thank you for their screams, and thank you for their snores, right? God, thank you for my, God, thank you for my job. God, thank you for this car that's about to break down at this moment, right? But it's still moving. Thank you for that. Thank you for this job. Thank you for the calluses on my hand that I have this job that provides for me money that I can feed my mouth. Thank you, God, for the milk that I'm about to drink and the dairymen who made it. Thank you, God, for the sewage systems that enable us to live in a clean and healthy place. Thank you, God, for clean water. Whatever it is that's a gift that you have, stop and be thankful and get creative about it. Not just at Thanksgiving. Sit in your homes and try to cultivate the discipline of thanksgiving because it will cultivate the reality of worship, which is the honoring of God. That three-part worldview of gift, thanksgiving, will lead to the honoring of God in everything that you do that you might live before God and before the world saying, this is what life looks like under the generosity of Jesus. This is what looks like when my life is submitted to him. Remember we said that. This is what business practices look like. This is what family dynamics look like. This is what recreational life looks like. This is what competition looks like. This is what working hard looks like. All under the greatness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank him in little things and in big things. Here's the last thing. The wrath of God is presently being revealed because of the evil exchange. The wrath of God is being revealed because of the evil exchange. One of the best definitions of sin that I know is in Romans chapter 1, verse 25. He says, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. He explains that a little bit in verse 21. For although they knew God, they didn't honor him as, or give thanks, but they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images representing mortal man, birds, animals, and things that creep along the ground. But the definition of sin is that we have exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. You begin to love God's gifts more than the God who gave you those gifts. You begin to fall in love with the creation rather than the creator. And Paul's going, how stupid is that? Like, would I rather have the $5 bill or the bank? How stupid is that? And that is the essence of sin, is an exchange of worship. Now, what's astounding in Paul's argument that I want you to see is that the wrath of God that's being revealed is God lifting the restraints that he has graciously put on sinful humanity. That if at any moment God lifted the restraints, this would be full-out hell on earth, mayhem, chaos, disorder, like you would not imagine. 
The wrath of God is being revealed right now by him listening over and over and over to us going, no, we want to go this way. We want to go this way. And he goes, okay. And he just begins to lift the restraints. And we go that way. And we see marriages blown apart, families blown apart, businesses blown apart, bodies blown apart. Blowing apart our own bodies, consciences seared, hearts destroyed. Because God's going, you want to go your own way. And here's how you know that. The wrath of God is being revealed. And then he says, therefore God gave them up. In verse 24, verse 26, therefore God gave them up. Verse 28, God gave them up. God just gives them up, gives us up to our own way. I did it my way. Right? I did it my way. Really? Paul's saying, you do not want to do it your way. When you see the world go wrong and you go, what is wrong? Paul saying, and God saying, you did it your way. You want it your way? Go for it. See how it results for you. When I was about, I don't know, nah, nah, probably six or seven years old, we were at a restaurant. And I'm, I'm a six or seven year old kid and six and seven year old kids love red stuff. If you didn't know that, they love things that are red. And there was a bottle in the middle that looked pretty red to me. And it was a bottle, and I said, I want some of that. And my dad said, no, that's Tabasco sauce. And I said, no, I want it. And he said, you're an idiot. And I said, no, no, let me just try some of it. He goes, no, it will hurt you. But I want some. And he goes, all right, you want what you want. Like, I've had enough, go for it. So I Take the lid off. I wanted the good stuff, right? I close my mouth, and I start bawling, crying. Oh, my gosh. He's like, you got what you wanted. My mom's like, what did you do, Mark? You know, why did you let him drink Tabasco sauce? Because he asked me 8,000 times, and he told me that's what he wanted, right? And I'm drinking water, and the water's making it worse, and my mom's trying to shove bread into my face. Now, here's what God's saying. You're taking Tabasco sauce and you keep drinking it, and you keep drinking it. Now, don't be surprised and ask why when you get sores in your mouth and when your tongue begins to erode and when your gut gets so riddled with pain because you're getting what you want. Church, that's sin. That's what's happening in our world is that God in his revealing of his wrath is saying, you want what you want and if I give it to you, you have no idea the horror that will come about in this. And it all comes back to, remember we said that when sin was thrown into the water and all of the ripple effects, it all becomes from the fact that we're alienated from God. It's the alienation from God. It is the exchange of the worship. We begin to worship and serve the created things. And let me tell you this, the Bible is so clear on, you will become like what you worship. You will. You will become like what you worship. If you worship God, you become more like God, which means we're, we were made in the image of God to be like God, which means if you worship God, you become more fully human. All the other things that become lords of your life, you will become like. And Chris Wright tells us, in those false gods, which are no gods at all, will fail you. False gods will never fail to fail you. But the fear of the Lord 
is the beginning of wisdom, the fullness of life. This evil exchange is nothing short of horrible and yet amazing at the same time because this wrath of God is being revealed. And this wrath is different than what it says in the final end when there's this great white throne judgment and the wrath of God will be poured out upon all of those who didn't take refuge under the shelter of his son. That this wrath now is different than that. It's being poured out saying, do you see what you get when you follow in the ways of sin? And he's saying, through it, return to me. He's trying to raise more questions for salvation. What must I do to be saved from a bomber would lead you to what must I do to be saved from the evil of this world, which would lead you to what must I do to be saved because the evil in the world is there because of the darkness in my own heart. And then you say, how might I be reconciled and restored to God? And the amazing part of the evil exchange is that it's cured by the exchange of righteousness. That the righteous one comes into the world in Jesus Christ, right? He's the one that came into the world and said, I'm gonna do away with sin and all of its effects upon creation, all of its effects upon human relationships, all of its effect in your own heart, and I'm gonna restore you to the one you were made for. This alienation is reunited in a man, the God-man, named Jesus Christ. And through him, he's the one who gives us the power to now live under his lordship by faith, for faith. Live under his lordship all by faith, all by what he's done. He empowers us to live those lives. This is what life looks like when Jesus is king. Family dynamics, race relationships, business practices, on and on and on. We live honoring God and showing the world the loving lordship of Christ. Let's pray. God, we are amazed by your